Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 218. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we add a little kale to the banana strawberry smoothie of democracy, because freedom is sweet, but with a little kale, it's also healthy. Um, am I being so insightful right now? I really feel like I am. Um, I'm like the Keith Raineri of the podcast world, just dropping wisdom. Uh, does that reference make sense to anyone? Is anyone yes. watching The Vow? Okay, because yes. I am all, I just can't stop talking about Keith Raineri. Um, this week. Such a ridiculous person. Um, all right, folks, we're going to talk about uh, gut-wrenching fires on the West Coast. We're also going to talk about all the people who pretend to be people of color but aren't actually people of color. It's a trend. And we're going to talk about elections. Today's panel, it was just exquisitely created for this very moment in our lives. I can't tell you how excited I am about today's panel. We have with us, he's uh, returning to the show. We love him so very much. Um, he's host of the podcast Today Explain on Vox, which you should immediately subscribe to. He's so smart and fantastic and great and delightful. And he is Sean ramos Verum. Hey, Sean. Hey, thanks for having me back. And joining us today, uh, folks, this one's a biggie for me because I like look up to this woman, listen to all of her specials and albums and uh, have just enjoyed her um, for a very long time. She's an actor. She's a, a comedian, obviously comedian, uh, musician. Um, and she's actually hosting the Folsom Street Fair, which is the largest BDSM event in the world that's coming to an internet near you very soon um, because it's online this year. Uh, it is the one, the only, the incomparable Margaret show. Hey, Margaret. Hey, thank you. Hi. 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 <laughs> um, oh, you guys. So excited to have you both on the show today. Let's uh, just jump in with topic number one. Can we, Before we jump, can I ask when the BDSM event is so I can attend? It's I on, missed that part. It's on Sunday. It's on Sunday. You got to come. It's great. I'm actually really excited. That sounds because, awesome. You know, we can't not have it. So we got to have it somehow. So we're going to have it on Sunday. So it's usually on Folsom it. Street, but now we're going to have it on. I've never Sunday, been to an online BDSM 20th. event, so I'm very excited. It's going to be great. 
It's going to be amazing. I've only accidentally been to a BDSM <laughs> event in oh, Berlin. Really? Yeah. It was a, oh. at a club in Berlin. And I walked in just like wearing an outfit. And oh, they fun. like a regular, like I go to libraries outfit. And um, and they said, uh, you have to take your shirt off. They were oh. like, you don't really fit in if you, you should take your shirt off. They were very German. Yeah. They wanted like some sort of like BDSM uniformity. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. Uh, so anyways, that event didn't quite work out for me. Um, oh. I wasn't, it, the bra was ugly. You know, you can't, I don't want to <laughs> oh, do yeah. an ugly bra. You know, it's like yeah. I had to prepare for that moment. Yeah. Um, all right. Let us move into topic number one. The West Coast is on fire, but in a bad way. Um, it started with a big fire in Northern California. Then there were a few fires in Southern California. Then there were huge fires in Oregon and even Washington State. And to go that far north seemed like the fire was really trying to prove a point. Um, and millions of acres are at stake. People have died. My friends and family on the West Coast uh, keep taking pictures of the really shitty air they have to breathe. Uh, thousands have been evacuated. It's just really sad and scary. And I wanted to ask you, um, Margaret, I think you're on on the West Coast, what has it been like? Um, it's terrible. I'm actually uh, very close to the Bobcat Fire, which, um, so I'm right at the line of, uh, so the evacuations happen about one town over from where I live. And so it's it's really awful. Um, the air quality is it's always really bad anyway in Southern California, but now we have this extra layer of terrible stuff um what is is so infuriating to add to this is the incredible amount of climate change denial that people have around this situation and the idea that this fire was possibly started by antifa that's the most ridiculous thing that that's not so much here that's more in oregon that that the sort of conspiracy theory conspiracy theory used to be kind of cool I mean, when I was a young anarchist in the 80s, conspiracy theory was not a terrible thing. But now I think it was, I'm not sure exactly when it turned, but it really turned in a very bad way. And now it's just a shameful thing to be involved in conspiracies. It used to just yeah. be like Kennedy and the moon, and now it's just right. everything. Right. And they're actually sending out groups of vigilantes to look for... Antifa that doesn't exist, and it's, no. uh, oh my God, it's just, um, you know, it feels dangerous and also a waste of everybody's time. And uh, the the most, um, I think, frustrating climate denier, I don't know if you feel the same way, uh, the two of you, but I think that our president is the most frustrating of the climate deniers <laughs> because yeah. he also has a, um, some sort of power. Uh, and he said... Um, this week, he said, it'll start getting cooler. You just watch. And he also said to ignore the science. Um, and he's been uh, uh, blaming poor forest management. Uh, Sean, um, what do you think of his claims? <laughs> I mean, it feels like what's new here isn't the president's climate science denial. It isn't the fact that he's happy to stick his hand uh, stick his head in, in the sand and ignore all of this. What's new is that this is a crisis coupled on a crisis, coupled on a crisis, coupled on a crisis. And mm. I, I truly hope that people are getting fed up. I truly hope uh, yeah. that... A crisis layer cake. That Yeah, that, that this mm -hmm. is a tipping point. I mean, this this shouldn't be political. This is people losing their homes, poor people, rich people. This is people evacuating cities. This is this is significant amount significant amounts of California burning down, 10% of Oregon being ordered or asked to evacuate. Like this is just an emergency. It's a climate emergency. It's an emergency and 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 like so many others, I just hope the fact that we have, I don't know, a person in charge who doesn't seem to care. I, I hope that era might might come to an end sometime soon. I hope so. Yeah. This is a very big deal, too, for science in that we're possibly losing um, the Mount Wilson Observatory, which is where the fire is right now. And it's where um, most of the big seismic uh, equipment is, where we detect earthquakes for 
California. So this is a very, very important center. Um, you know, it's made uh, sort of seismic predictions for the last hundred years. There's like over billion dollars of seismic equipment there. There's been a lot of great developments that have come from that particular observatory that I think people don't even recognize imp- the importance of it. Um, but it, it's it's more than that. It's just a historical place that is, is very valuable. Um, you know, in addition to the fact that this whole forest there is a wildlife sanctuary, and it's just a very, it's a, it's a depressing situation of what's going on. Can I tell you guys, I learned uh, two things uh, reading about all of this. One is that I really want to write the word forest with two R's. Like it's just inside my soul to you to mm-hmm. do it with two R's. And uh, and that's not how it's written. So that's everyone should know. Um, the second thing I learned uh, is that um, I when reading about this. A lot of the wildfire authorities, you know, in California and on the West Coast in general have pointed out there is an element of forest management that is involved. So it's not it's what's frustrating is is that if we're able to talk about this with any nuance, which we've abandoned nuance so long ago, but if we were able to, um, we could say, yes, some of the problem is there's a large number of dead trees uh, that are standing in parts of the state because of drought and disease, and they need to be dealt with. There's, um, you know, uh, there's the, the modern practice of fighter, total fire suppression is, is sometimes at odds with the older practice of letting limited fires burn and break so that to get rid of some of the brush and create breaks. Um, so that stuff is also, you know, that stuff is is true, but um, but it's all of it, all of the, the scientists agree that it's being totally and ridiculously exacerbated by climate change, right? Um, and the other hilarious thing I learned is that a lot of the fires are actually federal land. So when Donnie is out there blaming California, he's actually looking at himself because <laughs> a lot of these fires um, are federal land. So I thought that was really interesting. He should have done, I mean, he should, he should have, he should have done so, he should have done so many, so many things. (laughs) One thing that was, I think, positive this week that happened was that Gavin Newsom, who I am a fan of, um, he signed a bill that would allow inmates, California inmates who are already out there fighting fires Mm, mm -hmm. um, to now, when they are released from prison, to be allowed to apply for jobs as firefighters, which I think is really important. I think this is a really great step in um, this idea that, you know, we can actually look towards prison as more of rehabilitative rehabilitative experience. And I think this is what prison is for anyway. And that's that's, that's what we should be doing for people incarcerated and you know, they're, they're out there risking their lives. They're human beings. And it's really important that they're receiving education in there. And this is a really, I think, you know, we're asking them to do something that's very dangerous. We should be like giving them a livelihood when they come out. And this is amazing training. They do get some level of training before they go out to fight these fires. But you know, I think this is a great program. So I'm, I'm hoping that this actually becomes a very successful thing. God, I love that because obviously we're going to need to develop the fire um, fighting forces on the West Coast in general. We're going to have to t- treat it a little, you know, differently and more seriously than we have been. I grew up in Palm Springs, California, like most comedians. And <laughs> when I was in Palm Springs, we had... Um, you know, a, a, a fire season. And, and I, don't, I don't know if this was your experience um, in, in the, your early days in the West Coast market, but like the, we had a fire season that was short. I want to say it was like two weeks or something. And it was, um, and it was like cute. You know what I mean? It was like, mm-hmm. I remember seeing a fire from my parents' backyard on the mountain. I'd be like, oh my God, cute. Like it was, not, it was sort of like not a big deal. And then they dealt with it very quickly. And it like, it just didn't become as big a deal. I don't remember ever it I, I remember having to deal with it. But the current state of affairs is very stressful. Um, Sean, do you have any thoughts on what should have happened versus what is happening? I mean, I think with the stress, I just we just did this episode on the fires and we spoke to a firefighter who's been 
out there in the mountains fighting the Fork Fire in California. And then we spoke to this person who actually designs apps to deal with the stress and trauma of things like wildfires and even COVID and the layering of the wildfires on the COVID and everything else. Mm. Uh, she's with the National Center for PTSD. Uh, her name was, was uh, Dr. Beth Jaworski. And I think something that is important to remember is the the, the climate denial and the was this or was this not Antifa? That stuff is is oftentimes, though important, can drown out the reality. And I just think yes, we need to like take a like. I don't think firefighters on the ground are sitting there being like, "Was this Antifa or not?" They're just fucking trying to save lives and and homes and people, you know. And I think it's important to to manage the stress of this very difficult time appropriately and. Man, if I if I t- thought too much about the fact that people want to blame Antifa for what's going on right now, I don't know if I could sleep. So I would just encourage people that that you know to 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 focus on the fact that most people seem to understand what's really going on here and accept that this is climate related. Yeah, no, I I can I also give you guys just like a little moment of comedy that I read throughout this whole thing, which is that in on the horrible Antifa rumors. Uh, one of these groups of armed men that have been like patrolling the streets or whatever of Oregon um, stopped an Oregon public broadcasting reporter <laughs> because they thought he was starting fires, um, which just made me laugh that they think like people who work for NPR are just running around like <laughs> <laughs> just setting up fires. And and I also want to point out Anna Maria in Seattle, um, one of our listeners wrote uh, just and she just wanted me to bring to everyone's attention that, you know, that they're struggling to breathe in Seattle. But migrant farm workers across Washington state and the West Coast are still working outdoors through the pandemic and through these fires. Um, and they and they deserve our protection, advocacy and support. So um, if you're feeling antsy and you want to make a call to your local reps, I feel like what is happening with migrant workers is a really good um, and farm workers is a really great place to start because it, it honestly I had that hadn't occurred to me. But there's a lot of jobs that are like kind of very, very close or we're directly within harm's way, and they're just forced to breathe the air because capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's true. I, I want to just ask you quickly, like, this is something that came up last night, and I didn't have enough time to read it, but there's a whistleblower complaint um, that there are forced hysterectomies happening at an ICE facility in Georgia. Um, and I know you, you we did that wasn't a topic that I asked you uh, folks to look at, um, but uh, I don't know, Margaret, I mean, again, we, we know so very little little right now because they're going to do an investigation probably. Um, but uh, Margaret, um, I imagine you're not into eugenics. I um, totally believe it. And I I mean, you know, that's happening. You know, that's happening. And you know that it's absolutely, you know, our country has a history of this kind of stuff. And it no surprise to me that that's happening. I mean, who knows what happens in these ice ICE detention facility, um, detention facility. It's it's just, I mean, they're concentration camps. Yeah. It's like not any different. It's not any, I, I, I don't understand like why they exist. Um, we have to abolish ICE. It's a very, it, it's a very disgusting thing. I mean, I have, I, I, I'm already uh, g- getting ready to argue with the pro-lifers on this. I mean, like, I just can't imagine what pro-lifers are going to have to say about... They're going to have some answer ready-made to to argue with me on this because I don't know why they, they're just like... It's just such a crazy thing, but I absolutely believe this is happening. I think it's horrible. It's disgusting. And, yeah, I I heard it, and I'm like, of course that's happening. It, and, and, of course, it's, it's, it's so good that it's come out you know we know yeah i mean i am just like um on pins and needles about what the further reporting is going to be of this story and the investigations that nancy pelosi has called for so like i don't know jesus christ we'll talk about it when we know more um but uh, i just want to let people know it's something that's happened and i don't know what to say except for i'm traumatized just at the news and uh jesus christ all right you know what we're gonna do folks we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we'll just we'll talk about other things Thank you. 
Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, educational app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Let us move on to topic number two. Um, oh, no, wait. Sorry. Before we move on to topic number two, I just want to let everybody know that I'm going to be doing a quick little Instagram live chat on Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern with um, veteran panelist John F. O'Donnell. Um, we're just going to try and um, hit up some news that, that we didn't have enough time to deal with on this episode. So, uh, again, that's 1 p.m. on Friday, um, and it would be great if you joined us. Uh, it'll be a little Instagram live chat. All right, now for topic number two. Jessica Krug was a history professor at George Washington University who pretended to be black for many, many years. She wrote a medium piece that is an apology for what she's done titled The Truth and the Anti-Black Violence of My Lies. Uh, she was, in fact, a white Jewish person from suburban Kansas City, um, but it turns claimed to have had roots in North African blackness, then U.S.-rooted blackness, then Caribbean-rooted Bronx blackness. Um, she says, quote, I have not only claimed these identities as my own when I had absolutely no right to do so, when doing so is the very epitome of violence, of thievery, and appropriation of the myriad ways in which non-black people continue to use and abuse black identities and cultures. Uh, it goes on and on in that vein. This is one of the most Mia culpiest Mia culpas I've ever read. Um, and yet the scenario is still so b bizarre. Um, Margaret, what did you make of her apology? It's so weird to me. It's like, well, it's just like a, a Rachel Dolezal effect of like, you know, she was probably shitting a brick when Ra I wonder what she had said about Rachel Dolezal. Yeah. Like, I wonder what. I went, whatever there was like sort of social media sort of footprint of things that she may have said about that 
when that all went down? That's a really good question. I didn't look it up. Yeah, I have no, I have no idea. Oh, my God. I wonder if she was disappointed, like if she was doing all of this so she could one day admit she was doing all of this. And then when she found out someone else was doing this, she was like, fuck, I got to wait like two years now. But this was a, a beautifully, she had to, this was a beautifully penned apology. So I'm not surprised if it was not a part of like, you know, a radical performance art piece that also involved deep, you know, colonial racism. <laughs> yeah, it's such a, I think it's all because of that. Is it that C. Thomas Howell movie, uh, Soul Man? Do you ever see, do you ever have that? It's like a really old movie. Where he is in blackface, no? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Yeah, he tries to pass or something. Yeah. I never saw it. I've just seen clips. Yeah. That's that kind of, um, it's it's sort of that, I think that kind of thing. Um, But it's like, I mean, she wasn't in blackface. It was almost like a uh, sort of an academic under the guise of. Right. And then nobody's going to question if you tell people um, it's that sort of like a perceived blackness that she was, I don't know, like she was just try- trying to say like, and then you're like, what is race anyway? It's almost like it's almost like it's the moot point of like, what does race even mean? I mean, so Sean, <laughs> do you think... I know. It's so, it's interesting because what does race even mean? Um, Sean, what does race even mean? <laughs> I mean, I can't you get know, away Nadine, from it. Race, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I remember reading The Human Stain as like a teenager and being like, uh-huh. this book's like a joke. Who could ever pass for like a totally different race? And then this, this stuff happens and I'm like, wow, people could totally pass as a totally different race. And then you look at photos of her and you're like, maybe? I, I would. Right. I don't know. I guess we're so afraid to question people's identity that if she walks into a room and says, I'm African American, everyone's like, okay, you're African American. But I guess people are going to doubt people's racial identity more and more as a result of these incidents. <laughs> First of all, I mean, I think, I wonder if during the whole Ralph Northam stuff, uh, she was just like, oh, he's doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> How unsuccessful a way of doing Ralph, it. Ralph, <laughs> call me. Call me. I have a way of doing it that involves no makeup. Um, But I I think what's interesting about passing as someone, so none of us are black. Am I correct that none of us are black? No, um, not, but, not uh, but also none of us are white. And But I am extremely ethnically ambiguous. And so I have gotten every imaginable ethnicity ascribed to me um, because people can't figure out this face. And, um, <laughs> and so I think that, yeah, I think it would be sort of easy for someone like me to run around and pretend a bunch, which is why I have an announcement to make. I've been saying that I'm an Iranian-American Muslim. <laughs> but in fact, <laughs> my name is Sarah. No, um, th- but I, I, it's, it's, it is, it's like so possible. I think the, what are the things going on in your mind? I mean, there's a little bit of a thing that I maybe kind of understand, which is the Don Draper element of this, which is Mm. she wanted to kill her former self and live a completely different self because Mm. of past trauma or whatever. And Um, she clearly seems to, like, love the thing that she wanted to be, right? I mean, it's like, it's somewhat comparable to, I don't know, like loving hardcore music and wanting to start a hardcore band but you're like you don't know how to scream or something but you pretend anyway (laughs) it's you know i just i think she was just passionate but took it in the wrong direction she should she should just be comfortable celebrating a culture that she you know doesn't belong to There, there are healthy ways to do that right well i think that there's like this thing of like when you're not white you know you're not white that's it. Then there, there's like this thing of like when you're not white, you really belong to not being white. And there's different ways to express that. And, you know, some people sort of metabolize that in different ways. And um, that can be that can I think to people who are white and who feel like kind of displaced by that and disappointed by their kind of sameness um and feel like, well, this is so like basic. Right. I would rather feel like I really belong to because when, when white people f- belong, it feels like basic and uh, supremacist. 
Marais, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, like, it, whereas our um, feeling of belonging feels like a cultural celebration. Right. So I think right. that that sort of, like, the otherness and othering, it, it's very attractive to white people. That's why, like, white people love when they go to a restaurant where there's no other white people. <laughs> You know, they're like, ooh, you know, they love that experience because they think that they're in the know somehow or they're accepted as other. And so when you can be accepted as other, there's a kind of um, intimacy there and a connection and belonging that feels very uh, ripe. And um, maybe she could never get there because she just felt uh, that she didn't feel that connection with her own, I know that she's sort of not close with her family and sort of gave her that ability to sort of tell her own story as, as she wanted to, as opposed to as it really was. You know, she she said in this apology, she said, I should, I'm quoting her, I should absolutely be canceled. Uh, no, I don't write it in passive voice ever because I believe we must name power. So you should absolutely cancel me and I absolutely cancel myself. Um, like I said, the <laughs> mea culpiest. Uh, does she deserve forgiveness? I don't know if it's a matter of uh forgiveness or not just because i i don't consume her um right. work in a way that would either denote forgiveness or not you know she's not an artist that i know that i you know i, I it's it doesn't really matter to me it's just like an experience the, of race that i can understand just because i've gone through phases of really wanting to be white sure you know and really wanting to be somebody that i was not and so I can get behind wanting to be not who I am. So I, I see that. I can see why somebody would want to do that. And definitely it, it, it's a weird way, but it's weird to actually be able to do it. That's the, that's the part that I can't get because I could never pass as white. I could never pass. Right. I think, yeah, I think that's very relatable. Like when I was in the third grade, I was the only sri lankan in my entire school apart from my brother in toronto but there were like a couple of trinidadian kids and i could pass as like some somehow trinidadian so i would say yeah my parents are from trinidad or like my dad's from trinidad my mom's not just because it made me feel like i belonged a little bit more i think what's astounding mm -hmm. is that like probably like you margaret you know you get over these phases as you like become an adult and grow into yourself and accept your culture but to be like a professor at George Washington University and still be doing this shit is bananas. So like, can people forgive her? Of course. Is she is her professional career over? Like, probably, right? I don't know how you get past that. Is like, you know, I built a career on a lie. Right. But let's have it continue at some prestigious university. I think. Right. It's funny because I get, yeah, like you two, I also have that compassion of I grew up um, and I write about this in my book, How to Make White People Laugh, that is available for sale <laughs> wherever fine books are sold, but specifically indie booksellers. Um, and I talk about how like growing up, because I, like I said, I grew up in Palm Springs and the major minority group in Palm Springs was uh, the Mexicans. And I, because I look ethnically ambiguous, I just sort of like longed to be sort of lost in that Mexican crowd yeah um but it was all you know but it was I, but I never tried you know I was never like hey donde esta el baño you know what I mean I it was I couldn't it would be I can't even fathom doing it like it just makes me blush even thinking about trying that um Beto O'Rourke so, did that on a debate stage like four times <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, like you know, I, I and I and it's funny because in the you know in the comfort of my own home, like I may have tried on a donde está el baño, um, but but in high school, like it was just also in the harsh light of teenagedom, where anything you say can and will be used against you. I mean, uh -huh. what's also almost impressive about this is um, that she managed to escape all of that for so long. I mean, she's a history professor at George Washington University, recently yeah. resigned. Um, so she had tons of students, tons of faculty. I mean, this woman knew a lot of people. So it's, um, it's, it's just, it's fascinating that it went on for as long as it did. 
I saw I saw a tweet. Um, Gene Demby, uh, the host of NPR's Code Switch podcast, posted a tweet where someone had emailed him weeks, months, years ago. I forget which it was, but certainly a while ago, saying there's this professor at George Washington University. I'm pretty sure she's trying to pass. I'm pretty sure she's just a white person pretending to be a black person. But like, I don't know how to call it out. I don't know if like you guys could investigate this, but I just wanted to flag it. So apparently people knew people were thinking about it, but right. Um, right. It, took, it took her very thorough mea culpa to really, I guess, settle the matter. But yeah, I mean, I think it is really relatable, but uh, yeah, it's just going to be, it's going to be a tough, a tough road for her. But I think, <laughs> you know, that Central Park incident with the birder and the lady with the dog yeah. and calling the cops and yeah. all that, the the Karen incident that got everyone's yeah. attention this year, that was like a really interesting, teachable kind of moment because, you know, the guy who got the cops called on him said something like, you know, I don't need to cancel her. Like the pain that she's going through right now, her experience yeah, right now is, is enough. enough. And like... Yes. I think we should apply that broadly and generously. Like this person's life has probably been somewhat painful. It's probably been hard to be a fraud for her entire career, you know? And and so like yeah. I, I hope she finds peace within herself and her, her true identity and, and finds a, a path forward, I suppose. I mean, yeah. do you think it would like do you think that there would be this much media attention if she was trying to be a different race? Like a, <laughs> if she was trying to be Sri Lankan or no, she's trying to be I Korean, think people would be like, what's you know what Sri I mean? Lanka? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, uh, I think that if she was trying to be Korean, it would be, I think Koreans would be really excited. Like Korean people get really <laughs> excited when like white people speak Korean. They like put them on TV and they like, yeah. get, they're like all like, you know, like they all like get, get you know, like, you know, they like want everybody to see. And um, it's really like, there's like a whole culture of, I guess, Korea boos. Like people who love, like white people who are any other um, ethnic background who love Korean culture. Right, right. So there's there's quite a lot of um, affection for that. There's We've not at the stage of like people questioning, sort of, like anybody who wants to be Korean, we're like very excited about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is, um, I, I will say, less of a cool factor you know, in being Iranian or something or like, a, you know, there I don't know, or like a less of a mainstream understanding. Like no one's like, oh, well, cool. Like uh, you're Iranian. Like what's the dancing like? Like there's yeah. all these posts about her dancing salsa because of her um, Bronx, like, you know, um, Puerto Rican, their Puerto Rican was mixed in Caribbean, Black Caribbean, Puerto Rican, whatever roots. Oh, um, it was really dynamic. Her false identity. Yeah, no, no, she, yeah, yeah, and it involved like a like a very like high level knowledge of salsa. <laughs> so that's work. I mean, she put in the work. You got to give her partial credit. <laughs> Some sort of a credit. I mean, though, the interesting thing is like we've all been around people who. You know, I think what happens, like, fetishize, right? We've all been around people who fetishize, which I would have been, like, fetishizing them sort of, like, go for it. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> like, you, mm. I get it. You want to fetish it. You're so into it. Um, like, I oftentimes think I fetishize uh, the French. Like, I love France and everything, you know, French. And I've mentioned maybe once or twice on this podcast before that I lived <laughs> in Paris. It's not a big deal. I've just had a really exciting life. And um, and so I, I fetishize Iran. I'm actually making um, what? scorched rice in my parse rice cooker right now. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you it's win set to high panelist of the it. year award <laughs> sean you didn't say shit about iran by the way this whole time so you no, weren't even in the running for panelist I'm of the still, year i'm still really hung up on trinidad actually um so. <laughs> <laughs> um all right well this was fascinating let me know what uh you folks think um and also uh just I want you to send all the effusive um, congratulations to Margaret for making virgin <laughs> rice. So good. I mean, if she didn't already deserve all the accolades, she certainly does now. Um, folks, let us move on to topic number three. 
Let's start with uh, a piece of news. I'm not sure if you know, but we're in the middle of an election. Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there was a piece of election news that I felt was so interesting and encapsulated everything about life, which is that the Scientific American has endorsed Joe Biden. And by the way, they've never endorsed any presidential candidate in their 175-year history. And they've nice. broken that cherry um, to to endorse Joe Biden. Um, you know, and they said something like, uh, the evidence and the science show that Donald Trump has badly damaged the U.S. and its people because he rejects evidence and science, I mean, <laughs> which is pretty, pretty fucking clear. Um, why, um, Margaret, why was this notable to me? <laughs> um, this is, it's absolutely so important that Joe Biden win this election, uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden win this election. To me, I it's... Kamala Harris for president. But I, I, I mean, I, I think they're You're both not great. alone. I, I, You're not alone. I'm really, I'm really, she's my candidate. And I, um, she has to win. They have to win. They have to win. <laughs> I can't, we cannot, and we can't take any chances. I'm actually considering going to vote in person, which is sort of a, kind of a big deal, I think. But I think I, 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 I have enough PPE to actually. I think I'm going to go first thing in the morning. Are you going to don like? Do you have like the full hazmat? What's your style? I have the full uh, uh, Naomi Campbell hazmat. Nice. Um, And I'm going to go very glamorous, by the way. Very glam, and I'm going to just go in with full PPE and just get it done. And get in and get out. Wait, but California has mail in, right? Can't you mail that puppy in like in a couple weeks? But I don't. I, I'm like really like I'm just not completely oh. I, I have a I have I have the mail in coming, but I'm kinda like mm, I don't know. I may yeah. just physically take the damn thing in or just go in. Respect. Yeah. Nagin, I have a theory on, on why why you noticed this piece of news. I think <laughs> Uh We're all, even the conservatives out there who may have voted for him because Supreme Court judges or or abortion or tax cuts, whatever it might have been, we're all a little shell shocked from the past four years, and it's it's sort of affirming and 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 reassuring, I think, to occasionally hear that like, hey, someone who's like sat in the Switzerland territory for eternity is getting in the game right now to say like this one matters. One for Joe, you know what I mean? Like, I think it sort of confirms that, like, guys, this isn't normal. This is a little insane. And I don't know. My question is, does it matter? Like, I think when you counted up the Hillary Clinton endorsements next to the Donald Trump endorsements from... It was an avalanche of endorsements. From newspapers, from from whoever, from op-ed boards, from people, from celebrities, from... From from politicians, uh, it was insane, and obviously she my won the dog, popular my vote. My dog endorsed Hillary Clinton very strongly <laughs> right. on Instagram. The video is still up. <laughs> but I think I think it it does count for something to hear from <laughs> Scientific American that hey, yes. uh, this thing matters. Well, did I get that right, Scientific American? Sorry. Yeah, Scientific yeah. American. Uh, that that from Scientific American that this thing matters, and you know they that they care. It's nice to hear that people care. You know, because maybe they're gonna catch. Five scientists who aren't already, who haven't already decided, <laughs> you know, and that I'll take those five votes. I'll yeah, fucking and take one's those in Wisconsin and one's in Michigan and one's in Pennsylvania and one's in Florida, <laughs> Florida, and maybe one's in Ohio or something, you know, that'd be um, nice. Can I run by you folks a spiel here? Because the thing is, we're only doing optimism here on Fake the Nation. <laughs> and I have, I, I want to talk about also a little bit of reality, which is that the election may, look, I believe the election will go our way. I am optimistic and I'm running myself into the ground as we all are to do things to make sure the fucking election goes our way. However, let's say it doesn't go our way. The the feeling I have is that, is it possible for us to not put so much weight into this one office, the office of the presidency? You know what I mean? Is it possible for us to say, okay, 
um, again, I'm speaking about an otherworldly event in which we don't have win. But uh, let's say, it, like, okay, oh, let's say we didn't win this one. It's 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 okay because I am so deeply involved in local politics, um, and I'm so deeply involved in my senator and my congress people and my mayor and my state senators, my state assembly people, and my all of that, and my fucking community board and my district leaders. Like, is it possible that those things can matter more to us, that we don't put so much of our heart into this one office? What do you think of that as a as a way to look at it, Margaret? <laughs> you're la- you're smiling at way. me. I, I think it's a good way. Me like I'm a cute little girl. <laughs> no, I think that's, I mean, I think it's important to think of both. You know, I think it's always important to remember local governments and to build a relationship with um, the people around. I mean, that's, I, I, I'm, you know, a fan of Gavin Newsom and who I followed his journey from mayor of San Francisco and um, all the way up and through. And so, you know, like now he's governor and that's really a great thing. Like I'm, I'm excited about his rise and that I have a lot of faith in what he's done. And so that that's, it's good to feel like you're invested in people who care about your state, your city, your state, your, you know, community. So I think that, that that's really valid and, and, and a good way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people are probably hankering for, a month, uh, a week, a day to not think about how politics affects everything in their lives and is ruining yeah. everything in their lives. But it's hard. It's hard to ignore, right? After the past four years, just how important this stuff is. And and yeah, man, I think I think you're right that it starts it starts in our backyards. And it's hard because the stakes are so much smaller when on the national level you're seeing climate change, pandemic, sure. immigration, hysterectomies at the border. You know, this stuff's bonkers. It's bananas. It's it's beyond belief in a lot of cases. And and on your local level, it's like trash pickup at Prospect Park in Brooklyn or, you know, zoning stuff <laughs> right. about a grocery store. And, and it's hard to get as invested. But, man, there's that line in, in, in Avengers Infinity War where... Um, I was waiting for you to bring up Avengers Infinity War. Okay, you know, here we go. <laughs> where Spider-Man, he sneaks onto the the shuttle that's going out into space to like fight Thanos or whatever. And and Iron Man's like, what the hell are you doing here, man? Like I told you, you're just a kid. You can't come out here. And he's like, you can't be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man if there's no neighborhood. So I, I kind of feel that, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. it, you just like, you have to care about what's happening in your backyard. I don't know, more, if not as more. much as you care about what's going on in the White House and what's going on in the Senate races in in your respective states, unlike D.C., where we're not a state and don't have Senate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Separate issue. But, Gives me a pass. Uh, I, I can care I, more about the White House, but everyone else should care about, about their everyone local else. Right, right, right. Um, but I think, I mean, Margaret brought up an excellent point about, Gav, about watching Gavin Newsom since he was in Little League, like, become <laughs> the thing, right? And that's, like, a great reason to give a shit about local electeds. But also, I'm going to give you an even uh, better reason than sanitation to give a shit about your locals. Because if you think about, for example, the history of car emissions in the United States, it was California. California started to say, oh, my God, everything is full of smog. It's heinous. The sunsets are gorgeous. But, like, the air quality (laughs) is real bad. Let us make cars that don't emit particles that are going to give us all cancer, right? And so... So the car manufacturers like motherfucker. Now we gotta make better cars, and so they started making better cars. And they're not gonna do two different standards, right? They're gonna follow the California standard, which then makes it uh, the standard for the entire country. California fucking did that, and they did that on a state level because bless them. And it probably started in Los Angeles because the air quality was such garbage. Another example is like quit cigarette smoke 
you know, it used to be you could smoke fucking everywhere, but the New York City banned cigarettes. My California actually had some bans in place as well. And New York City was the first big, fat, major the city where the kind of place where you fucking get wasted and fucking have a bunch of cigarettes right at the bar. And New York City banned cigarettes. And then what did every major city around the world start doing? They started banning cigarettes. So then our numbers for cigarette smoking plummet in New York. People stopped smoking. And it was just an easy local fix that had this kind of huge domino effect on the world, right? So I just want to say, folks, um, we're only doing optimism, but we're also doing optimism with some fucking evidence, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've actually exactly. also heard there's like this exactly. backlash. There's like this backlash to just saying you have to vote all the time, like voting is the solution out of all of our problems, which I get because people are very disillusioned right now and have voted for the right progressive people of color to run cities and haven't seen the changes that they've been promised. Obviously, that's fair. But I do still think that, like, turnout in this country is at, like, 50-ish percent, like, 60-ish at best in a lot of places. Like, if there was a dramatic investment in in voting i think things could change from from local stuff to to statewide stuff to national stuff in a way that you know a lot of people would like to see right now so i i just i I would love to see election days be they you know midterm be they local be they national whatever it is I would love to see holidays on on election days, and just so people could oh agree could not have an excuse. People who, who have to work nine to five, people who are working at grocery stores, could just leave. Could just wake up in the morning, make breakfast for their kids. It could be fun. We did this episode on our show, which will probably rerun on election day about um, voting day in Australia, and it's like it's like a party. There there's shrimps on the Barbie. Everyone's Ugh. hanging out. They go vote, then they go to the beach, and like we could rethink this in a way that helps everyone that. participate. You know. That would be yes. great. Yes, make it fun. Make it fun. More BDSM festivals on election day? Yes. What? <laughs> Hells yes. Am I just pumping out some yes. ideas right here? That's a great uh, idea. <laughs> Can, I, I'm going to tell you guys one more thing, um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but the um, campaign of, uh, of Joe Biden has assembled a whole bunch of lawyers and former solicitor generals to create the largest ever election protection program in presidential campaign history. Um, Margaret, um, what do you think? I think it, you know, great. (laughs) It's great. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. They're firing at all cylinders. They have to. I mean, they have, this, this is a very serious thing. This whole election is so important. I mean, it really is the most important in my lifetime that I've seen. And they've all been important, but this one really is. And um, it's just absolutely vital that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris win. I can't even stress enough how important it is. Yeah, we're going to leave it on that because uh, Margaret Cho just said it. It's really fucking important. All right. (laughs) That's all that matters. And have your plans to vote. Um, and also just be 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 ready for like election week or even election month, because that's the reality we're looking at. Right. I mean, yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's what that signals is that this is going to be tough and we're preparing for it. And I think the whole country should prepare for it. The president, the president's already gaslighting the country on mail in ballots, on absentee voting, on, on whatever else. And he's saying this is going to be a hoax election and that the Democrats are scheming in this way and that when. The reality is he's literally scheming when he says that. So I think people should just be prepared for it to be tough. Take a deep breath on November 2nd, you know, and and get ready for it. Uh, folks, I, uh, that is the end of the show. And I, um, oh shit, sorry. One thing I have to do before we end the show is I like to talk about, um, races to watch, but instead this week, I'm going to talk quickly about voter registration deadlines. (laughs) So exciting. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, but I just did a little quick peruse to see what some of the voter registration deadlines are. Like, for example, if you're in Alabama, the deadline is October 19th. If you're in Arizona, um, you can register. Uh, the deadline is October 5th. So I did a little. Uh, oh, if you're in Colorado, the voter registration deadline is literally 7 p.m. on Election Day because you can do in-person voter services. Um, uh, reg- registrating, registrating, as I like to call it, at a voter <laughs> service or polling center. Um, but w- the sort of earliest that I noticed among the 50 states, um, hey, didn't look at D.C., okay, uh, was uh, October 4th. So let's just keep that number in mind, October 4th. Um, in, uh, yeah, another delightful state, Montana, you can register same day, same day as Election Day. Why isn't it like that in every state? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so, so... Do you want to know why? <laughs> do, do you know why? I mean, we know we I know why because of the structure of our country. But is there more? I mean, it's not in everyone's interest to make voting easy. <laughs> I think that's the right, 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 answer. right. There's that. There's that. Um, all right. Well, you know what? Uh, we're going to take care of that. We just got to win some elections first. <laughs> A lot of them. <laughs> Let's just focus on winning, and then we'll do that part, and then we'll do also D- DC could be a state, and then we you know we got a long list. Oh, and the climate. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, I like to end the show uh, by asking what makes you feel hopeful, um, you know, in this kind of like we're all in the muck right now, but there is there are things that are making us feel hopeful. It could be small or large. It could be ameliorate or it could be, you know, uh, a Kamala Harris speech, uh, whatever it is. What is making you feel hopeful? Who wants to go first? I got one. I'll go first. Margaret, you go next. Um it's easy. I mean, uh, this summer, thinking about the summer, which is now coming to an end very soon. I mean, it's easy to think about the amount of people, families, children, young people, older people who wanted to get in the streets and say enough is enough. That's a beautiful thing at any time, especially during a global pandemic. But I also, because I've talked about that, we've all heard enough about that or plenty about that to, to go around. I also just want to shout out to to Bill and Ted 3 Face the Music because, my gosh, <laughs> my gosh, is the ending of that movie, the the conclusion to the trilogy, hopeful AF. And it brought tears to my eyes. Oh, my and it's, God. It's, 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 it's similarly, though differently, about coming together in the streets to celebrate life. And and it's it's surprising how it comes around. God, I want to see it. You should see it. Support it. You know, these two dudes wanted to make a movie that had a positive message and no one wanted to make it for like decades. But they <laughs> they persisted and they got it made. It's kind of amazing. That's all. Um, all right. I love that. Margaret, what do you got? Um, I'm hopeful that I think that um, that that it's true that we're really looking to a more of a conscious time where that people are really looking and seeing that we have been in this racist system for such a long time, this racist country for such a long time, and we're waking up to um, a, a new reality where I think that things are going to change permanently. And and I know that um, I'm going to be committed to that for the rest of my life anyway. And so we're, um, I think we're going to be permanently altered as a society after this experience. I, I believe that. So that makes me hopeful. Yes, all altered and then glorious things will come. Yes. Um, I love that. And I, I'm i hopeful. Uh, there are two little things that made me, one a big, one little, two little things that made me hopeful this week. One was that um, I heard a song by Tyler, the creator, and the, one of the lyrics in the song was, do you look both ways when you cross my mind? And I just <laughs> thought... <laughs> that was the cutest, most lovely fucking lyric. And I was I just played that song over and over. Um, so anyways, uh, Tyler, the creator. And then um, I also saw um, on a jog along the East River in New York City, the East River Alliance had a ton of people volunteering to clean up the debris that kind of gets like me- like wrapped up in the rocks that are along the river. And there and it was like Gen Z, like it was like 18 year olds that were like cleaning up debris from it. And I was like, oh, 
we're gonna be fine. Look at these youngins volunteering to fucking clean up debris in the East River. I love them so much. And they will do great, wonderful things. Um, and they will do it uh, as the rest of us also do great, wonderful things. <laughs> so that made me feel really hopeful. But what I really want to do is tell the folks of Fake the Nation uh, where to find you and all the wonderful things you do. Sean, where do they find you? Um, I'm, I'm on the things at Ramos Forum. It's my last name, but check out the show. Today Explained, we do the news in a way that doesn't make you want to jump off a bridge. <laughs> Margaret, where do they find you? I'm uh, at Margaret Cho on Twitter, um, at Margaret underscore Cho on Insta, and um, and uh, I have The Margaret Cho on Aerios. It's a podcast that I do. It comes out on Tuesdays, and um, yeah, everywhere you listen to podcasts. And can I say that I did a little re-listen of one of your um, albums? I can't remember which one, and you had a joke. And it, I think about this joke a lot because you the joke was something like um asian people they don't age they just the the bill on their visor gets longer oh yeah <laughs> i probably butchered that but it no, was no it's right that's right that's good <laughs> and um and i just i have to like make an admission to you which is that I love a visor in the summertime. Yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> it's so useful in stopping the sun from getting into that one space between my sunglasses and my face. You know? It's perfect. <laughs> now I have one that and goes all the way down, so it's like very like it's it's it, yeah. I'm like a welder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great for the I aerosols, right? In the in the in the in the pandemic times. Yeah, it's perfect. Right, it's right. like totally oh protected. Oh yes. my God. That's like the height of visor right there. I love it. Um, so anyways, I just want you to know that I feel close to your people and may one day claim that I'm one of them because of the visors. Yes. I'm kidding. Uh, all right. But what I really want to do is make sure that um, we recognize the wonderful people that make this show happen. There are so many. I want to thank our producer, Anita Flores, our talented audio engineer, Andy Christens, Gabby Alter wrote our theme music. Lily Flesher helps out with research and listeners. We love hearing from you. So send us your feedback topics we should be chatting about, guest ideas you might have. Leave us a voicemail at 331-901-0005 or drop us a line at comments at fakethenation.com. And if you like what you hear, please favorite Fake the Nation on Stitcher. Follow us on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. So many directives of what you could do and how you can click. Um, oh, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps more people find the show and, and really just like tell everybody that you listen to the show in a, like a verbal way. Um, that is the end of the show. We'll be back next week. 